and welcome to episode 98 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is the Master of Disaster. I got nothing for you, Derek. I, I tried, and it just, it nothing came out. Well, that's fine. I can be disastrous in all the ways you want me to be, Rob. I'm Derek Heemsbergen, Embryon on the boards, and I'm here to talk about some video games. Yeah, we got video games to talk about. And also joining us today is Caitlin. I cannot pronounce her name in, with a Greek accent, so I'm going to say... It Ar- is not that hard. No, it's terrible with a Greek a- accent. Caitlin Argyros? That's Argyros. good enough. Argyros. I got it right. I got it right. Good. Congratulations. Second. Uh, yeah, so I'm Caitlin. Link is everyone on the boards. Um, my life has been uh, heaven's word for the last month, so... Honestly, yeah. same. You guys in your heaven's word. Like, like to, be fair, to be fair, I'm sitting here playing Diablo 3 while we're recording this, so I, I, I'm also guilty of this. But Different strokes, man. Whatever. Different strokes. Different yeah. strokes. That's, that's fine. That's fine. I, I'm very impressed in what they've done. And, uh, and Derek, you are now a celebrity. As, uh, what, where did your face show up on? Uh, like, <laughs> oh, that was oh, funny, yes. yeah. Uh, one, of, uh, one of our editors, Mike Salvato, one of his friends linked him to a, a Wall Street Journal article and was like, is this you? And it's a picture of me, Mike, and Liz playing uh, Final Fantasy XIV at E3. But it's from last year, not the one that just surfaced. Oh, really? Or, or not the show that, that just happened. Yeah, but for some reason they took a picture from last year's show. And it's like the headline for a new Dragon Quest. Like, uh, It's the article talking about the new Dragon Quest game that's going to be announced, which we're going to discuss later on. But yeah, so it's just a picture of us. And I was like, okay. Internet celebrity. Not, not actually. We like, bow before you. It doesn't even have our names on it or anything. It, it was just funny to see it was like huh yes we're we're so proud of you we are so (laughs) proud of you i didn't even do anything no you sat there and you looked cute you were very photogenic see i take horrible pictures so oh really i have some magfest pictures that beg to differ no i take no i was only taking good pictures because you were there caitlin like i had somebody to (laughs) go off of but like my smile is really weird like i always have a drunken smile because it makes my eyes slightly close (laughs) so i just i look completely out of it whenever i smile like that's why i usually don't do like teeth smile i always do like just lip smile because otherwise i look drunk you should see it's funny like how we find our uh our poses like what works for us because i noticed that my favorite smile is like a slightly open mouth smile it's weird because otherwise i also pull it off i I have no jawline like that's one of the reasons i have a beard is because i have zero jawline i have a super weak chin and jackie had actually never seen me without a beard and then i guess it must have been right before we got married she was feeling really down one night and i was like well you've always said you wanted to see me with a beard would that cheer you up and she's like i think then i went and i shaved and i came back and she was like okay never again (laughs) <laughs> never again i said you would not marry me right now if i didn't have a beard she's like probably probably oh, like ouch so I, I i just have a very I, I have very soft features i do not have a strong jawline so the beard like accentuates and perfects the like major weakness in my face uh you also don't have much of a butt either no i do not we we I that was a butt. whole topic of conversation at e3 i have zero butt can't even get a handful no no you really can't like it's <laughs> kind of depressing actually like I feel bad, but it's just, it is zero booty. It is, is this ab- an RPG podcast or a butt podcast? I think it's a butt podcast Why not right both? Now. Yeah. We're just being honest with ourselves. That, like, okay, that can be the topic. Butts in RPGs. Ooh. Mm-hmm. ooh. Can Lulu count? I think Lulu... I really I, see her butt, though. I, I'm yeah. just, Lulu and I, that was like the beginning of my sexual awakening. That was not good. <laughs> that was not good, like, to be playing Final Fantasy X at, like, the start of puberty. That was not a good idea. Uh, uh. Uh, I mean, or maybe it was. I don't know. 
It might have. Uh, anywho, anywho, moving I'm on quickly. About butts and games all day. I'm gonna have to come up with a list and post it. Like best butts in RPGs. Oh, that's, that's our next feature. Okay, best butts. I love it. Writing down best butts. In... Well, speaking okay. speaking of all this seemingly random talk, uh, I kind of wanted to bring up Final Fantasy X and then Final Fantasy Tactics because I've been catching up on my episodes of Retro Encounter lately. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What's that all about, Rob? So Retro Encounter is this brand new podcast that we have going on on RPG Fan right now, as I plug our podcast, uh, where we play old games. Now, what classifies as an old game is questionable. It's debatable, yeah. <laughs> it's debatable. It's well, something think... that's like not out right now. And, and that's something that you always get into. Like, I would have no problem talking about a game that was like four to five years old. I would have no, because usually with game cycles, like if you don't play the game right when it comes out, it's gone. You know, and it's gone. Like you're, you're not going to play it anytime soon, and that's that's understandable. But uh, Retro Encounter is pretty fantastic show, if I do say so. Caitlin has been on a lot of the episodes so far, and Caitlin's had a chance to talk about Final Fantasy X and a game that I am trying desperately not to restart because I know what will end up happening if I restart it. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm actually playing the game this time because I didn't get to play it while we were talking about it. Um, but yes, tactics, that's the definition of a game that just sucks you in and keeps you playing it until you beat it. And then maybe you play it again because reasons. Yeah. Tactics is, I think I, I played tactics right when it came out. Uh, and I, and again, I'm not trying to steal the thunder of retro encounter. I just kind of wanted to plug our show a little bit and give some thoughts on a game that I have not played for a very long time. I played tactics right when it came out. So I came off of seven, I played Castlevania symphony of the night. And then I think it was like January, was Final Fantasy Tactics' first release in America. And that game just bewildered my, like, 7th grade mind. I, I could not get a hold of it. The first couple battles just beat the living crap out of me. I I walked away from it, and then my buddy Nathan actually got me back into it, I'd say maybe two years later, and I just tore into it one summer. That game is, like, infinitely replayable. Like, all the crazy, yeah. bat crap, stupid things you can do in that game, you can just keep playing it over and over again. I love engineering new ways to break the game, like to build the ultimate overpowered team and then just steamroll yep. everything. I love that you can his, do uh, that. His setup that he always talks about, like, um, what is it, like Ramza is a monk with blade grass? And... Yeah, and I never really got into monks when I played. Maybe I didn't get them, like, strong enough, but in the original game, they I never got into monks. I, I was mostly focused in on the uh, the special characters, like the characters that were a class that you could only play with them. So, like, Ox, yeah, I love those. Hindu. Yeah. Like monks race. have yeah. a lot of versatility. Yes, uh, I, I usually don't use them myself, but I had to grind a little bit this time because I'm trying to get Ramza to be Dark Knight, and he has to have monk for certain other classes to get to level 8. And they have a lot of useful skills. They can heal, they can attack from range, they can debuff, It's and they're really powerful with their basic attacks, too. So so are you are you playing the uh, War of the Lions version? I am, yeah. Okay, um, cool. I have the original... PS1 version, but because I have a lot of downtime at work, it's easier for me to play at work, so I need my yeah. Vita for that. That version's really cool, and I, I love the additions to it, because they feel very organic. Um, it was really easy to get back into that game when, when that version released, and it was like, holy crap, I get these characters that I, like, new characters that I know, and then the, the new job classes. I never really messed with Onion Knight at all. But, is, that, is that the one that you have to like level up every single class in order to get, or am I thinking Dark Knight? Yeah, that's that. Well, it's... Dark Knight also requires you to master or get 
very high several classes, but Onionite's the one where it basically gets stronger the more classes you have mastered. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a cool mechanic. I like that. I like yes. that. So they're basically terrible when you unlock them. And then, because <laughs> I, I, I guess they are, they're just kind of unlocked, right, from the beginning, or you barely have to do anything to unlock it. But then, like, they're not worth using until you... I master. think you have to have Squire and Chemist up to a certain level to unlock them, and I forget what level that is. Now, your War of the Lions version, Caitlin, are you playing that on your Vita or your PSP, or are you playing the mobile version? I'm playing it on my Vita. I have it on my iPad, but the control, oh, just, it, it's bad. On buttons, the, please. Always yeah. buttons. Yeah, I, that's one of the things that's really holding me back. I know they've released like every single Dragon Quest game on iOS, but that's what's holding me back, is I need physical buttons. Like, yeah. And you those got... are actually good ports too, like because I have the Dragon Quest one and two on iOS, yeah. and they're they're good versions of those games. But it's like, I want buttons so bad. Can it be that hard for them to put that on the PlayStation Vita or like even That's the 3DS? Can like, it be please, that bad? God. There's a. I was looking at some mock-up concepts for the Nintendo NX that people were. They're they're totally fan-made things, but I saw some really really cool concepts that were basically like a smartphone that looked like your standard iPhone or whatever, and then it had like some input, uh, some ports on the side, the really thin side panel that basically plugs in and then you flip it sideways and it's like a uh, an NES controller. Oh. I would be totally hey. down with that kind of thing because I think that that would give you the perfect combo of like normal phone usability and then when you want to play a game, you just snap in your little controller edition and it feels very natural. Like that would make me play games on my phone way more because right now I'm basically not playing games on my phone. I, yeah, just, Mike, I need buttons. I need the tactile feedback. Mike showed me, I think it was back at MAGFest, actually, he showed me Final Fantasy VI running on his iPhone, and it was impressive. Like, what they managed to do with those controls was cool, but I'm with Derek. Like, I need to have physical buttons. Like, that, I don't like texting on my iPhone because of the lack of, like, input feedback. Like, that's one of the reasons I don't like motion control games. That It, like, holds no interest to me. I like having something physical to grab onto. And yes, you guys can make all the jokes you want about that, but <laughs> that that's just how I roll. And if they release those... It can't be that hard to put those games on something else. It really can't be. Like, come on, Square Enix. Let, yeah. You're doing so good right now. Let's just keep it going. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I have no idea what would it what it would entail to port some of that stuff, but there are so many good... Like, I, I recognize that they're putting out quality games on mobile platforms, but I just can't get past the no-button barrier most yeah. of the time. Just, uh, it bugs me. Yeah, I need to have buttons. But, uh, yeah, War of the Lions is pretty fantastic. It's actually my first time playing through it with the new translation, which I find myself having to slow down and actually read it and parse what they're saying. It's like the first oh, wow. time. It's like the first time you read Shakespeare. Like, I can read Shakespeare, but, you know, my, my little physics brain takes a little bit of time to start like going through the language and really understanding it because i'm used to kind of dealing with more scientific reading that it doesn't have flowery language for lack of a better word like it's focused in on nouns rather than verbs and adjectives if that makes sense maybe there's some science i love that kind of writing yeah i, I mean i i love it. Uh, it it's like the difference between reading um i, I brought up these names before but they're probably my two favorite authors right now uh Joe Abercrombie writes like a screenplay, so his first Law trilogy and now his uh, Half of War trilogy, it's very quick, snappy reading. I think Brandon Sanderson is very similar in that vein. And then you have guys like Mark Lawrence and Lovecraft, who it is like a wall of text that is fantastic to read, but it's like drinking wine. 
Like, you have to really savor the flavor of what... I'm a poet, and I don't even know it. Uh, You have to savor what you're reading, and I really like that. But I found when I was trying to play Final Fantasy XIV, I was not in that mindset. And so I was trying to, like, figure out what the game wanted me to do, and the menus were telling me, but the language, I was like, uh... I think what? 14 actually strikes a pretty good balance because they do like the the active help windows and stuff whenever yeah. there's a new element and they they speak to you very plainly and give you like the mechanical explanation of what's happening mm-hmm. and then the the NPC dialogue is very flavorful. Yeah, and I, I love say, I love it. I was going to say it's very similar to the language used in Tactics and mm-hmm. uh, War of the Lions Tactics and 12. Um, that sort of language where you have to you you get used to some of the words that they use in place of what you're expecting. Yes. Like, mayhap instead of maybe, and must needs instead of yes, yes, we should, need. and uh, We must ought. need to quit this place. Yeah. Yes. But I, I love it. It's a great translation that helps really kind of fit the game in that sort of medieval uh, setting that it has. It feels much more appropriate for where and when the game is set. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine, like, Final Fantasy XII having a... A script anything other than the one that it has i i need that kind of flavor to the world because otherwise it, it would feel very stiff you know like because the story of final fantasy 12 is is fascinating but as we've probably discussed many a time the characters aren't as developed as they could or should be and there are lots of things that you have to fill in but it's because the script is written in such a way that you can really fill it in with your imagination that it works as well as it does mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like that's that- that's a world that feels very alive and it's largely due to world building that includes good writing it also really brings together uh the evilese games yes the the evilese games all come together because they're all using that amazing language like because they're they're all so similar you feel like you are in the world of evilese and i think that kind of started with uh vagrant story like that was the first time that they really went in that direction for the type of language that they were using and now they just they've continued it which was fantastic like that's what makes those games so special to me i love them i still vagrant story is one of those noticeable gaps in my gaming history that i just i've never played for, for yeah. more than an hour but me too I need to. It's just, I I was reading some really extensive guide on how you have to play the game to make it work for you, and I was like, that seems like so much work, but it uh, is a lot of work. It I think what what gets everybody with Vagrant Story is the first time you fight an enemy where you're doing no damage, and so you start feeling like you're doing something wrong. But it turns out that that first Phantom boss is has very low hit points. So it only has like 40 or 50 hit points, but you've been fighting things that have 200. So you're sitting there going, oh my god, this is going to take all day, I must be playing the game wrong. No, he just has a very high physical resistance. And with a couple spells, you can make yourself able to do some actual damage to him, but that's not really the point. The point is, you're only going to be able to do so much damage, you should only be doing a combo of about 9 or 10, because that's when your risk starts going all the way. I sound like Caitlin on on the uh, Tactics podcast now, where Caitlin is going into like the complete minutia and getting very passionate. I'm now doing that with Vagrant Story. But yeah. that's what's so good about these games, is yeah. that you can get into the little itty-bitty-gritty, you know? Yep, and Tactics definitely allows that. Vagrant Story allows that. But Vagrant Story, I think, has the one thing that makes it troubling for people and that you feel like you're playing it wrong when you get yes. to a very specific point of the game. Yep. And when that happens, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I start feeling like either my character is broken or I'm playing the game wrong and I don't understand how to play it, that's usually when I quit. 
that's usually when I'm like, okay, uh, this game's not for me. I'm going I don't necessarily to quit. I just need, I guess I, 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 I have a need to figure out why that's happening. Because it's like, it's, it's not something I usually have problems with, I guess. Like, I don't usually run into things where I just don't understand why. Like, because, you know, you play games long enough and you can just pick pick them up. You understand how most game mechanics work. Like, you can read patterns, like that kind of stuff. But, I, I, yeah, I get pretty frustrated. It's like, uh all of my gaming history, and I can't figure out how to beat this boss. Like, what am I doing wrong? I fail as a gamer. I know. It, it does, I, I don't want to say it hits my pride as a gamer, but then I start going, like, it, there are moments where I'm playing a game where I'm going, I know video game language, I've been playing games for the better part of 25 years now, Right. and this game is kind of violating that, and that's when I, I start getting very frustrated with that. Like, you're not giving me the reciprocity, you're not teaching me how to play the game, you're actually going against years and years and years of ingrained this is how the game is meant to be played not that that's necessarily a bad thing but i think you have to communicate that very effectively to the gamer and vagrant story doesn't do a good job of that i mean once yeah. you learn that game's language it's fantastic but you have to really you have to unlearn what you have learned actually i like that as a uh, a description of what you have to do I, I enjoy the concept of learning a game's language so yeah. well well put I think that I, explains I, it well I, I do what I can I do it like uh, you know I'm sitting here playing Diablo right now and Diablo is almost Diablo 3 is almost overwhelming right now because they have changed so much of the game's language so when you first jump back into Diablo 3 if you haven't been playing it for a year you have to not only relearn all the balanced skills that they have changed, but now things like blood gems and uh, the new, uh, uh, what is it, the portal system? I don't even know what it's called. The portal system for going to different areas, the new rare items, like, they just keep adding so much stuff to this game. They actually do a good job of reminding you everything. Like, when you come back in and they've just done a major patch, they outline the changes. Like, as soon as the game fires up, here's the stuff that we changed, this is the new stuff, now go have fun. Yeah. And that's actually very helpful, but they've changed the skills so much. Like the witch doctor's uh, one skill, um, I think it was, I think it's wall of zombies is being completely changed. So a skill that they first showed off during the first trailer reveal for the game is getting completely revamped in the next patch. Mm. That's crazy. Like, well, like you you were saying earlier that uh, Diablo three is just an entirely different game now to the point where they could probably just release the next game in the series as Diablo five with all the work they put into three. You know? uh, Diablo three now is I think they finally figured out what they wanted to make, which is more of a Warcraft style RPG, like some some light MMO elements, but mostly focused in on you're playing characters for seasons now. So they, they have season achievements and legendary items that you can only get during seasons. So that gives you an incentive to replay a character, which was one of the biggest complaints about the game when it first came out. There was no reason to replay it. Uh, now you have a completely revamped skill system, tons more legendaries. Loot 2.0 makes it so that you're constantly getting new things, new items. The adventure mode is just fun. You don't have to sit there and screw around with the game's absolutely stupid, awful story, which I went back to one of my old features that I wrote for the website, and I said Diablo is one of the worst stories in video games, and it's true. It's bad. It's, it's bad. really bad. I mean, their lore is fantastic. Their stories yes. are terrible. Um, That's like Destiny. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of. I, I think Destiny and Diablo three have a lot in common in that they were two games that tried to do something, did not really 
accomplish what they wanted to do, but Diablo 3 took the better part of three years and is now exactly where it wants to be as a game, which gives me hope for Destiny. I think Destiny can get there. It's just going to take a lot of time, and they need to be very honest with themselves about developers. The lead developer, the lead director on Diablo 3 left. He left, like, just up and left to work on other projects at Blizzard. They brought in a new guy, and the first day the new guy was there, there was, like, some Blizzard Invitational. It might have been BlizzCon, I'm not sure. He outlined, these are the problems with the game, these are the things we're going to do to it, okay, now we're just going to start changing stuff. And it's fantastic now. It, it is an absolutely monstrous game that if you start playing it will suck hours of your time away. But it is a very different game than Diablo 2 now. It is not the same game where Diablo 2, you're going to do like Final Fantasy Tactics. You're going to make all these crazy combinations and they might work or they might not work, but that's half the fun. This game is now being driven by loot and experience and legendary items. It's much more loot driven now than skill driven. I mean, I'd rather have it be a different experience than two, though, right? I mean, yeah. you can yeah. just go play two if that's the kind of build, you, if that's the kind of experience you want to have. Well, and and one of the biggest things, going back and listening to one of our old shows when Zach was still on, he talked about how in order for Diablo three to get hard, you have to beat it twice because there was no adventure mode. You had to go through their horrible difficulty progression system, which was a leftover problem from Diablo two. Now you can just start on any difficulty that you want. So if you oh, want to really? make the, if you want to make the game murderously tough as soon as you fire it up you can do it and the game scales beautifully. So it won't be unbeatable but it will be very difficult if you decide to make it that way. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, and then you level up faster and you get better items. Cool. Hmm. So very risk reward kind of system. Very, very. Uh, Diablo 3 is a special game. It's good. I I have the PS4 version. Uh, I I mean, I played it on PC, and I still need to fire back up the PS4 version and continue my co-op campaign with my roommates, but other things keep coming up like they do. Yep, yep. I've been getting distracted by Witcher 3 again because the 1.07 patch came out, and... Oh boy, did they make (laughs) that game a little bit better. (laughs) Talk to me. How does Geralt move now? Okay, so... It wasn't immediately noticeable. So one of the things that they did was they completely... They they give you a new optional movement system for Geralt that you actually have to turn on in a menu. And at first, it didn't feel like that big of a difference. I mean, I, I was sitting there going, well, his turning radius feels a little bit tighter if we're talking about him like a car. And his momentum seems to be slowed down. But then when I started like moving around the environment and having to take sharp turns or having to go up set flights of stairs, that's when I was like, oh, oh, this controls much better now. Like, he's still got a little bit of the... I want to say it's kind of like a European-style movement or, or Uncharted-style movement where they have momentum. Like, Batman kind of has the same thing in the, in the Arkham games. There's a, little, there's a lot of weight to the movement. It's not moving around like a Souls game where you're very light on your feet, even in heavy armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he definitely controls a lot better now. Uh, Caitlin, you were saying you didn't feel that big of a difference in combat, though, right? I didn't really notice any changes in combat. He's still kind of moves the same, has the kind of same weight to his actions and, and things like that. I, I was actually thinking, eh, Rob's probably not going to like this as much as far as combat's concerned, because he it felt like he controlled the same to me. He, he's still a little sticky in combat. Uh, the one thing I will say is that the uh, the kill animations, when you knock down a, an enemy and you have to go up and press X to coup de gras them, that feels a lot better, oddly enough. Like he, if, yeah. It feels I, like he really locks in on them now. I was I was doing that without even seeing the prompt half the time. Like yeah. I would just I would keep doing my uh, fast attack. I think it's the same button. And oh, before I know it, he's gone up and he's 
you know, KO, instant KO'd someone. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah, and that gave the Ard uh, spell, like the Force Push spell, that that gave that a lot more usability. Like, I've been spamming that thing like crazy. Yeah. Just knocking people down and then stabbing them in the throat. It, it's better. I think, Derek, you might still have a problem with the overall movement. It's still a little sluggish, but they, they've they improved it. They, they are working on that game, and I think they keep making it better. I respect that. Yeah, yeah, and and again, it's it's just like what we're talking about with Diablo. They they are working on the game to make it better instead of just saying, "Eh, we're done." Yeah, yeah, they're they're we'll listening fix it next to time. People. Yeah, please understand. Please yeah. understand. We're gonna move on to Witcher Four, and don't even worry about it. I'm not even done with Witcher Three yet. No, I'm right at the end. I I think I could beat it if I sat down and and spent like three hours. I think I could beat it. I took. Uh, a huge break because of Heaven's Word. I haven't touched it in a month, and I just started playing it last night because I wanted to see the changes were, and I got sucked into it. I meant to only play it for a few hours, and then I spent the rest of the evening on it, and, oh, my God. I'm not even probably halfway through the main story. Mm -hmm. I'm just taking my time with doing side quests and treasure hunts, and it really, honestly, after playing side quests in 14, um, the side quests in Witcher 3 are... You know, head and shoulders much better. Actually substantial. Yeah. Yes. I did a side quest where I had to help these guys face their fears by eating hallucinogenic herbs. Yep, 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 yep. And there were, like, luminescent whales and skyfish in a cave. It was very psychedelic. It is a neat game. It is a very neat game. I'm still really enjoying it. Uh, I, I feel a little burned out. Like, I'm ready for it to end. I'm kind of like, okay, I've been playing this for 80 hours. I, I think we can we can move on. We can be done. But it's still a, a very impressive game. It's something that you can play over and over again. I'm super excited for the expansions. Like, I think that that's going to just give that game so much more longevity. They're going to be meaty expansions. Like, one's 10 hours. One's going to be 20 hours. Really excited to try those out. Um and then I got to decide what I'm going to play after Witcher, and I'm, I kind of have a debate running in my head right now, and maybe I'll ask the the listeners for a little bit of feedback. Shadowhearts. No. Yes. No. No. Not not going to happen. Not going to happen. Retro Encounter does Shadowhearts. You are on. I don't. Those I think I got to go with Steven's advice. If I'm going to do Shadowhearts, I think I need to skip over one because I've tried to play one like four times, and I it, it just it just ain't doing it for me. You can skip one. One's a little... It, it's very... I'm not saying it's bad, but... Yeah, no, it's not bad. It's just slow. Yeah, it's just really, really slow. I think two is the best. Yeah, I, I, I've i seen the combat in two, and it, it definitely looks speedier. And I think that's what I need if I'm going to get into that. So, um, so yeah, Shadow Hearts probably not going to happen. But if I am going <sighs> to pick on something, if I am going to pick on something, I was kind of thinking about... Do I want? Wow! I just died in Diablo. That never happens, huh? Don't I feel like a horse's ass right now? Um, there's a couple options for me. One is that because I'm getting excited for Fallout, I could give New Vegas another try. Which New Vegas, I, I think more people love it now because they've patched it and they've apparently made the game so much better compared to where it was originally. Part of me wants to give that a try. Part of me wants to see, you know, how much improvement did you guys really make to the game? Is it that much better? Is it going to be work, worth it? I don't know if any of you guys played New Vegas. I don't even know if you guys like the Fallout games. Maybe that's just me. I never I never got around to it. I kept meaning to play it and just never got around to buying it. Um, 
because I loved Fallout 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for some reason, it's just, I think there's always something else that came out that got my attention. And so I was like, oh, I'll save New Vegas for like a drought season or whatnot. And then there's always something that I'm playing. So It was really rough when it first came out. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really, really rough. Like not good rough. Um, like, like not, not even Bethesda rough? Uh, no, it was Obsidian it... rough. Which is <laughs> Obsidian rough. I mean, I, I like those guys a lot. And that's actually the next game I'm going to talk about. But uh, Obsidian Rough is not pleasant. And unfortunately, I, I really did not enjoy my time with New Vegas. Even though everybody like speaks so highly about the story, I just couldn't get into it. But, I'm, but there's part of me that's like, okay, maybe I should give this another shot. Because it is now patched up. It's got tons of mods on PC. Seems like it might be something to give a shot. That's one game. The other game is actually another obsidian game which was recently updated on steam not trying to take away a news story from you derek is uh star wars knights of the old republic the sith lords which they went in they gave it uh widescreen support so it now can run at 1920 by 1080 uh they've added in steam workshop support so now you can get all the unused content that fans went in and fixed the game not unlike vampire the masquerade bloodlines and everybody says that if I'm going to play one of the KOTOR games, the one to play is the second one, because the story is so good. Like, everybody kind of says that really? the first game's story was a little boring. Mm, I don't uh, know. I only, I only played the first one. I didn't think it was boring, though. Just I never beat KOTOR 2. I got very close, and then for some reason never finished it. But I I don't know. I feel like the, the bones that they established with KOTOR make that a classic. I mean, whatever they improved in... Sith Lords, it's because the first KOTOR kind of established the setup. I think I would play KOTOR 1 if I could use a controller. Xbox? Well, I don't have an original Xbox. (laughs) You don't have to. I play it on 360. Oh, that's true. That's true. No, I I don't have a 360. (laughs) I just... That game to me, I know Steven dis- disagrees with me a lot on this, but I, that game to me needs to be played with a controller. I, I think its menu interface was made for a controller, and they just kind of piecemealed together mouse and keyboard on PC, and it feels terrible. And I would much rather play the game the way that the, the developers want me to play it, and instead, as I'm trying to play the PC version, I just feel like I'm playing the game with mittens, and it just never felt right. And they put controllers support into the sith lords so that's another reason why i'm like hey maybe i should give this a shot because now it's going to control the way god intended (laughs) i'm sorry i love that i love that as a as a purely console player myself i'm much more comfortable with a controller than a keyboard and mouse so i appreciate that comment it really depends on the game like I, i you know i I can play Diablo with a controller or with a mouse and keyboard, but it's going to change which character class I play as. I'm not going to play as a ranged class with the controller. Like, that's just not going to happen. It doesn't feel as good. But playing KOTOR, it feels like I'm supposed to be cycling through those menus with a controller. When I, when I fired up New Vegas just to see if it would work, that game is supposed to be played with a controller. Like, you are supposed to be using the R triggers to cycle through everything that you can do in that game, and so it feels very bizarre to be trying to use a mouse and keyboard for that experience. It just it just doesn't feel good. You guys ever have games like that? Like, you have to play it with a controller? Caitlin, you probably play uh, 14 with a controller, don't you? Oh, yeah. Um, I have a USB keyboard, but I don't have a mouse, and I... 
would probably be more comfortable on a controller anyway. Um, we get into debates every now and then in the game about controller versus keyboard and mouse. There are some classes that I would probably be more comfortable uh, with keyboard and mouse. I think if I ever got into tanking, I would be a lot more comfortable uh, with that just because it's easier to cycle between enemies using the mouse than it is mm-hmm. on a controller. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to think that healing would be really difficult in controller, but White Mage is my main. I love it. Um, having said that, the pet classes would, are a nightmare on controller. I wouldn't yeah. want to do Summoner or Scholar without a keyboard and mouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sucks. Because they have so many different controls. You, you have your controls for yourself, and then you have your pet controls, and it is ridiculously hard to do that. Even and on PS4. You need to, like, place your pet somewhere too like not yeah. only activate their commands but like oh i need that to, i need my pet to stay over there for this part of the fight like it's better on ps4 than ps3 because you have the the touchpad that simulates mouse you know control but it's a touchpad it isn't it's not even as good as the touchpad i have on my laptop so it's mm-hmm. it's better but really still not feasible yeah I I generally, I prefer controller for most things. There are some games, like if I play a PC game, I generally want it mouse keyboard, though. Um, I mean, it, it really depends on how it was designed. Like for MMOs, I can only play mouse keyboard. Uh, but stuff like Trails in the Sky, you know, that's a, it's a game that's on Steam, but it was originally a game on PSP. So I think controller just makes sense for that. It's weird for me because if the game is a, a first-person shooter, I almost always want to have mouse and keyboard because I have that real fluidity of control. But then you have a weird one like Fallout, which is it looks like a shooter, but it's not. You're going to be playing that game in VATS all the time, and they optimized the game for VATS. Yeah, so it, it doesn't it feel right. It, it just doesn't feel right with keyboard and mouse. There's actually a huge disconnect. That's probably why I didn't like Mass Effect 1, because I played it on PC, and I'm sitting there lining up a perfect headshot, I pull the trigger and the game misses. And I'm like, well, I know why it missed, because it's trying to simulate an RPG. That's nice, but 25 years of video gaming has told me that I put the crosshair over the guy, the guy should be dead. So with a controller, I can accept that a little bit more. For whatever reason, it puts me more into an RPG mindset than a shooter mindset when it comes to that game. Am I misremembering, or did they say that with Fallout 4 they were going to make it more viable to do come out outside of VATS if you wanted to. They have said that over and over again with all of Bethesda's games, so it's one of those, like, I'm not trying to be cynical, but I am. Like, it's nice to want things. I think it would be great if they would finally incorporate (laughs) that kind of thing, but I'm not holding my breath. I I want a lot of things. I really do. Like, I, I want that game to control properly with you know, make it feel like a shooter, and it seems like from the gameplay demos, it will, but we've been promised a lot of things with Bethesda RPGs. I think the Fallout games have actually done a better job than the Elder Scroll games. The Elder Scroll games, I don't understand how people can play melee characters in those games. It's just not fun. It is just like, blech. You're, you're just spamming attack buttons over and over again. They're, everything just feels janky. You have a head bob that's constantly happening whenever you swing a weapon. It just feels terrible. I don't understand how people can do it. Like, sneaking around is one thing, or using magic is another. Even the bow and arrow, even though it's, like, completely underpowered, it feels great in Skyrim to knock an arrow and let loose, but the rest of the game just kind of feels yeah. Mm. That's a technical term, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 In my vernacular. 
But I am excited for Fallout, so I think that's one reason I want to play New Vegas. I want to give that game another shot, but I think Sith Lords is going to win. I, I think that game is going to win out because it's just so different, and I haven't had hardly any experience with those games except for maybe like the three hours I tried to play KOTOR 1. And I think the first time I got criticaled on like the first boss fight and died in one hit, I was like, that's enough of that. Very old school, like pen and paper, Dungeons and Dragons style RPG where sometimes you will just die in one hit. And I, I don't like that, like, at all. Like, that that is just, like, no, 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 no. You know, that's interesting because one of the things I've been experiencing replaying Tactics, a game that I've played several times in different forms, and I'm, I know what to expect from fights, and yet there have been times where I completely get my, my butt handed to me. Yeah. No, Even I though I know what to expect, and it's kind of like, whoa, what? I fail! Did they change the difficulty in that game with War of the Lions? Because I remember, like, you reach a plateau where the game just can't keep up with you after a certain level. Like, I, probably around the time you get Orlando, the game just kind of stops. Oh, God, yeah, Orlando is still... Right. Game super- over. Um, I know that they upped the difficulty of some of the boss battles. Okay. Um, like, your first major boss battle in Chapter 2, I believe, what I read is that they restored it to the Japanese difficulty... So he's he has more HP and his his attacks do more damage. Um, yeah, I died several times in that fight. Whereas I know I've beaten him in one try before. So yeah. One of the times I played through that game, I made Rams a black mage without realizing I was going to have to do that fight against Wygraf. Yeah, I did that That's too. not fun. That's not fun. I actually, I got past the first section, and then when he turned into Balius, I died. I was fine once that happened, because then Orlando showed up, and it was game over. Like you, No, you don't have Orlando then. Really? You don't get Orlando really? until Chapter 4. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then I must, yeah, have, been, I must have had super overpowered characters, because it was nothing as soon as I got through that, that part. Like, it, I was fine. It was just the Rams of one-on-one part was just like, oh, dear God, this is terrible. I had to do the, the speed trick. Like What's the speed I felt trick? You set him as Squire, and you use, I forget what the original, uh, I think it was maybe Shout. It's Tailwind in War of the Lions. It increases yeah. speed by one. And you spam that until you're getting, until you hit max, and you're getting like five turns on Ramza for every one of Wygraphs. Oh, uh, okay. I Which, think... I- I just it, put auto potion on, so he was only doing like 50 damage to me because I kept spamming X potions over and over again, and I just beat him war of attrition. Yeah, that's a viable tactic too, if you have enough potions. It was I I spammed auto potion on that game like every time I played it over and over again. Like I was I, so like nervous about taking damage. I never used that skill. I hate that skill. I, the skill's terrible, but it, it will get the job done at low-level play. Like, when you first start playing that game, it is really powerful. It's kind of my... Th- that's my thing with the all money Matsuno's in the beginning, though. That's my thing with uh, all of Matsuno's games. I look for, like, the cheapest possible way to just exploit them. <laughs> mm, well, I mean, it's there. You have the option to do so. That is true. That is true. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Final Fantasy XII and I don't get along too much. I know, Caitlin. I'm sorry. Wow, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan. I'm, I'm going to be a bigger too. person and not engage you on that. I topic. respect 12 a lot, and I think the Zodiac job system does a much better job with that game, but I, I just still can't help it that I find that entire cast to just be non-entities, boring, and all, this, all the guest characters are doing the interesting things in that game. 
Which but Bosch. Bosch. I do like Bosch. Okay, no, that's fair. I like Bosch a lot, and I, I wish Thank you. I wish that he was the main character of the game, like was originally intended. Right. So yeah. do I. Me too. I think that would have. Uh, I have no problem with Vaughn. He just has nothing interesting to do. Yeah, I don't think I. I think the arguments that like Vaughn is a bad character is just because Vaughn is a non-character. Yeah, that's my biggest yeah. problem with Vaughn. Like he doesn't he's... annoy me like Titus act- actively does. Like I think he's not bad even. Like I'm I'm okay with him. He just doesn't really do anything important. Like again, his the the whole thing that I've heard discussed that I, I agree with mostly is that he's just kind of the cipher for the. the yeah. He's like the insert yeah. character, you know. But they. Did they need to do that? Probably not. I, I don't know. It, it's it I just wish that he would have had like a more just, substantial growth or interesting character arc at any point blame, other than just like I'm coming with blame the focus test groups because that's the main reason that's why I've heard why they had Vaughn be the quote unquote main character is because focus test groups didn't really respond as well to an older main character like yeah. Bosch that's how we ended up with Raiden Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Don't, get, don't get me started on the Raiden and then we had the opposite with the uh, with near we got dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and see how much people like the game. I see what you did there, Caitlin. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, that's what always confused me is whenever people talk about the near functionality on their Vita, I'm just like, so they just put near on every Vita. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. That seems really strange. Near, yeah, that. Do people actually use that still? No. Is it still a thing? No. I didn't think Do people so. use their Vitas anymore? Whoa. Shots fired. Shots fired. Shots fired. No, I, I love that device, though. I really do. I just wish there was more to play on it. Yeah, it's a great Persona 4 and East Machine. And Danganronpa. And surprised I mean, there, there are a few things. not coming out on it. Oh, I'm glad it's not. I'm glad so it's not. Glad I'm surprised. Not. Just because if they were to make it, like, theoretically, it would be made... From the same base, right? And then they would have to yeah, downgrade or whatever to get it to Vita. But I, it would have lower specs as a as a baseline, I think, if they developed it on all platforms at once. Which is something I've actually been hearing about recently in the news is that um, developers are having a lot of trouble porting to Vita. Yeah. I was reading an article about um, like Galaxy, the mm-hmm. Which looks sort awesome. of awesome. Yeah, roguelike shoot 'em up kind of thing. Uh, was supposed to be releasing on Vita and PS4, and they just outright scrapped the Vita version. They just okay. couldn't. They said they couldn't get it to run well enough, and they were like, "We'd rather just not release a bad version of our game." So, yeah, I don't want to call out any developers, but at E3, I was having conversations with a couple, and and they did say like, "Yeah, the Vita is not fun to make games for," and there was a lot of a lot of frustration, and it wasn't just a few developers; it was a lot of them. Like, yeah. I think the Vita is very tough to develop for. I think that's the PS3 in them. Yeah, there's a... And that's also happening with Cosmic Star Heroine, the game by uh, Robert Boyd, who made Penny Arcades on the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness 3 and 4, and Cthulhu Saves the World, and all... <coughs> Cthulhu Saves the World. Uh, and he was talking about how they can't... Right now they're having trouble getting the game to run at like more than 15 frames, and I guess they've just got it up to barely about 30 frames stable, but they're still messing with it and they want to release a game you know a version of it that runs well before it can actually come mm-hmm. out they don't want to just release it in a crappy state and patch it later yeah so I don't, good on them i wish yeah i mean i wish the vita had a more it, it's few exclusives that are worthwhile are definitely worth getting a vita for they're yes. just it they come so infrequently because there'll be periods of time where i don't touch my vita for so long that it's just you know the battery's dead and it's like oh wow i haven't touched this in months and i feel 
bad about it. Like, I don't feel like I wasted my money because I've had great experiences. I just, I know that the platform is capable of doing better. And uh, I guess it being so hard to develop for is a big part of why we aren't getting good releases. I'm mostly playing old PS1 games on it. Like, I went on a Resident Evil binge on it. Uh, you know, War of the Lions, even though that is a PSP game, that is, you know, first and yeah. foremost, a PlayStation game. Yeah. Well, the Vita's yeah. buttons also feel really good, so I'm yes. totally down to just use that to play PS1 classics. You know, I, it is hard to control Jill in Resident Evil 3 with that analog nub, though. She she kind of flips out a lot and gets her face bitten off by zombies too much. But say lobby. Say lobby. It wouldn't be a zombie game if you didn't at some point get your face bitten off. You're not supposed to get bitten by the zombies, Caitlin, because then you end up a zombie. You sure? I don't know. Yeah, but The Walking Dead without... Someone getting their face ripped off by a zombie wouldn't be The Walking Dead. No, The Walking so. Dead without pretentiousness and nothing happening wouldn't be The Walking Dead. <laughs> and there's I, stealth zombie attacks where it's like, wow, this zombie was being really quiet until it snuck up and bit somebody's neck out. Yeah. Oh, boy. I Didn't... stopped watching the show. Yeah, I, I really gave up on it. And now I have to pour one out for Hannibal because that got canceled because this is why we can't have nice things. <sighs> It's it's the rule of you like something and that means it has to get canceled because yep. you can't have stuff you like. At least I got three seasons of Hannibal and this season's been really awesome. I got to catch up on the last two episodes, but it just really it really frustrates me. And then like absolute trite just continues to just get season after season after season because yeah. I guess I had a coworker actually point something out to me the other day. Not to get too far sidetracked, um, made mention of the fact like back when we, back in the day like. Movies were for adults and television was for kids, and that has completely changed in the past. Wow. Like, yeah, that's pretty reductionist, but but yeah. no, but like, think about like the television shows, like The Americans, are like really challenging a lot of what's going on, and you still have movies that do that. But most movies today are focused in on like get kids in there and make tons of money, like your Avengers and stuff. Like they work they work against cross generations, but they're not really interested in telling big flowing things anymore they're like okay we're gonna do this because it's cool and it's gonna make money that's fine but meanwhile television is actually putting out like a lot of really hard-hitting drama like true detective like that would have been a movie that would have been a movie now and back in the day and that's the kind of thing that i think she was mentioning and i agree with her a lot i i it is reductionist but i can't think of the last movie that really challenged me outside of like ex machina I can't think of something that was like, wow, this was kind of adult, and not just adult for violence sake, but adult in the way that it told its story and handled its characters. Mm. If that makes sense. No, I, I get what you're saying. I just, I'm sure there are plenty of examples on either end, of course, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. By and large, that, that that could be possible. I'd have to think about it. Well, people need to watch The Americans and Fargo and make sure we don't lose those two shows, because then I'm really going to be upset. I'm losing too many good television shows this year. Sniff. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Rob. Please understand. Please. <laughs> Please look forward to it. Please look forward to it. We are. We are. There's lots to look forward to. Uh, so who else has been playing games? What else we got, guys? All right. I've been playing a little game recently. I actually just beat it last week, and I was I was fortunate enough to get it pretty early so I could really dig into it deep. I've been playing Lost Dimension. It is a like a real-time strategy RPG. Well, not real-time. It's turn-based, but it's like it's a turn-based strategy RPG for PS3 and Vita. Uh, it plays out a lot like Valkyria Chronicles in its battles. You have squads of uh, six party members that you maneuver turn by turn, 
and they have like a support fire mechanic. Like if you're close enough to an enemy and you attack, or sorry, if if your allies are close enough to you when you attack an enemy, they'll give you like a, a backup uh, attack to help you kill them faster. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, but I guess I'll back up a little bit. Lost Dimension is... Uh, the premise of Lost Dimension is that you have this team of 11 psychic warriors, and there's this villain, basically like an alien. His name is The End. And he shows up, and he's like, I'm going to destroy the world in 11 days, or however many days. A few days. It's a couple oddly, days. Oddly specific. He's going to destroy the world, and it's going to happen soon. So he's like, I'm going to destroy the world, so if you want to stop me, you have to climb this giant tower that just appeared in the middle of Tokyo or wherever, and uh, get to the top. You're right, yeah. Get to the top of Tartarus, fight me, and that's the only way that you can prevent the destruction of the world. So, Sounds like Lightning Returns meets Persona 3 meets Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah, actually, very apt. So, Except you don't actually have to do anything involving like time management. Uh, so the game, so, so the UN sends in this group of 11 psychic warriors to go fight him. The game opens in the middle of a battle, and your main character is like, what am I doing here? I don't Oh, yeah, that's right. I was sent here to fight this guy. And everybody seems to have parts of their memories erased. Uh, none of you know each other, and none of you trust each other. And in the very, very beginning of the game, the villain appears before you and says that, uh, by the way, several of the people in your group are traitors. And it's up to you to find out who they are, otherwise they're going to turn on you. So, and, didn't, and didn't I read that that changes every game? Yeah, so it's actually oh, randomized cool. every playthrough. Oh. So, so the the... Game is all, there's no exploration, it's just all battle, and then you have, like, between battle scenes where you set up your characters and stuff, and then next battle. So, the tower is split into five sections, and after every section, which is, like, a chapter of the game, you have to choose to kill one of your party members permanently. <laughs> Whoa! Like, death. <laughs> um, and what you do is, after every battle, your main character, his psychic ability is foresight, so he can hear people's thoughts to an extent. He's not, like, a telepath, but... He can uh, sense if party members are acting suspiciously. And what it ends up being is actually, it's very much just like a math and logic puzzle kind of thing. Because you'll find out, like, so you have six people in your party, right? And so after a battle, depending on how your party is set up, it'll say, like, I heard two voices that were suspicious. And then you have to switch your party makeup, and then you'll be like, okay, there were only one, there was only one voice that was suspicious that time. So I think I've narrowed it down to maybe this person or this person. Um, every chapter always has three people who are suspicious, and one of those three is always a traitor. Um, and there's only one traitor that you can identify per chapter. Like, the, I guess the gist is that their memories are awakened at the beginning of a chapter, and then they remember that they're against you and blah, blah, blah. Um, what, what that means is that it doesn't really change how the game plays out, like, in terms of dialogue. Um, it's not implemented as well as it could be, and I, I feel like it had a ton of potential to be super, super cool. And it's a very unique premise that I enjoyed. But really, all that all that changes is, like, because there's, there's story dialogue that's always the same. And then at the end of each chapter, you'll find out who your traitor is. And, well, if, if you do correctly identify who they are by process of elimination, they'll be like, that's right, I was the traitor. Good job, you figured it out. No, I'm dying now. And, like, everything else, you know, and then, like, that, that scene will happen, and then everybody else will be like, ugh, it was so hard to lose a member of our party. I can't believe it. We had such a bond with that person. So they don't actually like, make a huge deal about who each individual person is when they are revealed as a traitor. But anyway, um, so you're you're using reasoning and logic to figure out who these people are. Um, and once you get to the final part of the game, you only have six people left. 
And if you have incorrectly identified who the traitors are, they actually turn on you during the final battle. And it is entirely possible to not be able to beat the game because they overwhelm you. Um, now, how long is this game? Because that sounds awesome, but also like scares the crap out of me. It's not especially long. I think okay. it took me. It took me about, I'd say, like twelve to fifteen hours. Okay. Okay. That's totally reasonable. Like I, yeah. I would. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense too. To you know, make it shorter so that you can you can go through multiple times and not have each playthrough be like a thirty-hour affair. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So and, and it does very much encourage uh, new game plus for narrative reasons and for mechanical reasons because like you said the traders are randomized every playthrough and there is something of an affinity system where in between battles um you can talk to two party members and raise their affinity with you and what that means is um at, at the end of every chapter when you're choosing who they call it erasure so who you're choosing to erase at the end of, it, of every <laughs> chapter it's like Danganronpa and it's like a trial where everybody votes for who they think the traitor is that's nice <laughs> oh, big brother Right. And so if your affinity is higher with certain people, they're more inclined to believe you when you tell them who you suspect. So they'll come to you. Occasionally, characters will come to you after a battle and be like, I think this person is the traitor. What do you think? And you can say yes or no. Um, and the, or they'll just be like, who do you think it is? And you'll get a list of all the people. So it's important to both raise affinity with everybody in your party as much as you can. And also to uh, vary your party combination so that you can kind of suss out who's suspicious, who's not. And um, the only way to get the true ending of the game, which I haven't gotten, is to raise everybody's affinity to such a point where you unlock like a, a character quest for them, and the character quest is basically just like a battle, and then they have some unique dialogue before and after. You have to max out every character's affinity and do that character quest, uh, like on one file, like so you can beat the game, start new game plus, and then it'll retain which characters you've maxed out previously. Like they could still be traitors that playthrough, but but the game remembers. But basically, like, they're... So it's, it's, it's impossible, right, to do that on your first playthrough because somebody's going to die in Chapter 1 and you don't have enough time to raise that person's affinity with you substantially enough to see their character quest. So there's no way to see, like, what's actually happening behind the scenes, like, the true, true ending, your first playthrough. Um, I probably won't have time to do a true ending playthrough before my review is up because the game comes out in two days and the podcast will probably be up right around the time my review goes up. But uh, it's, it's a very interesting game. I think it's mechanically far cooler or not sorry the premise is far cooler than the execution um just in that there isn't a lot of uniqueness in how the game plays out practically it's just like okay well this this playthrough yoko died because she was a traitor and when people die um you actually you don't lose what you put into them because they drop like a crystal basically like a materia and you can equip that person's materia on anybody else to give them that person's powers. So, like, one girl, one girl has pyrokinesis. So if she is a traitor and I have to kill her, then I get, like, the pyrokinesis gem that I can put on whoever. And that person can now use pyrokinesis. So uh, it encourages you to, to play with everybody to experiment. Because you really do. You have to fight battles with every single character. Otherwise, you have no way to tell mm-hmm. who could possibly be the traitor. Um, it's pretty... It's pretty quickly paced like i said there are five chapters five five areas each area has like five mandatory battles and then there are side battles that you can do if you want to get experience or bonus items and stuff but um it doesn't have the deepest story either it's mostly just you figuring out who these people are and uh trying to determine whether or not they're suspicious or not their their backstories don't change regardless of what they're doing in your current playthrough 
Um, and then the the ending sequence, it kind of drops like all of the story on you literally during the final battle. Like, aha, mm. this is who this is who the main villain actually is, and this is what's actually going on. It's not as simple as you think, and it's like, okay, so they very clearly want you to play through it more than once. Mm. So it's it's pretty cool though. It plays out, like I said, like Valkyria Chronicles. It's pretty fast paced. Battles don't take more than ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Um it's got a pretty low budget, and you can tell, like the character models are pretty pretty basic. Um there's not a lot of great animation. Like the special attacks are pretty lackluster looking. Like they cast magic and it's a very basic, small animation for those. Um, just goes pew, pew, pew. Yeah. The music is, is pretty good. Some tracks are way better than others. Like uh, overall, I think it could have benefited from a higher budget and some more creativity in, in uh, like the actual flow of the game. I, I think they could have done a better job of making it more unique. Like, you know, if, if so-and-so dies, if Marco dies first in your first playthrough, it would be cool if another character had a revelation about Marco later on, or, like, if him dying impacted somebody in a certain way. That would be better, but instead it's just, like, that person's body is gone, and they just don't really address it ever. <laughs> they're like, oh, no, it's too bad that we lost a comrade. And now they're dead. And now they're dead. Now so they're... so I, th- I actually think it's a pretty good game. Um, give it, like, a solid... B B minus. It's it's gonna be worth playing. It comes out this week, like I said, for PS3 and Vita. Um, just don't expect a ton of polish. But it's yeah, it's a cool game. If you're if you're jonesing for a strategy RPG, it's gonna be up your alley, I think. I definitely like the whole betrayal thing. I think that yeah. that's a really cool angle. Like, uh, back in the day, uh, I think it was the Atari 2600. There was an Alien game, like based off of the 1979 movie. And one of your comrades would, like, try to kill you. Or it was something like that in the game where it played with the whole expectations of party members who are going to betray you and it's different every time. So this is something that we've seen in video games before. And I think that they could keep working with it. I think until Dawn is playing with it a little bit with, like, how characters can die in in different situations of the game. I think that that's what adds the replay value is seeing, like, the different ways that games play out i I played the original resident evil over and over again just to see all the different permutations of like oh this is how you get jill to survive versus getting making sure that barry survives like i love that kind of stuff in games where my choices have an impact on who lives and what kind of ending i see instead of just like oh yeah this is like we're gonna bring up that one thing that you did that one time i like it when entire characters end up dead based on your choices i like that fire emblem well if only fire emblem was uh I was gonna be really mean, but I, I liked I liked what I played of Awakening. I did. I just tactics ogre happened. Well, it's, there's also a difference between like a character having the ability to die in a as a result of poor strategic decisions, right, right. and then like a character that you have to actually kill for narrative kill. reasons. Yeah, I think I'm. Do gonna... they go ahead, Caitlin? Go ahead. When they're the traitor, do they have unique reasons for being the traitor, or is it just? No. Oh, it's I just mustache twirling villainry. <laughs> well, it's like, well, the the conclusions that I was led to draw during the game is that, you know, the people who are turning against you are doing so for good reasons, but they don't actually outline what those reasons are in your first playthrough. Mm. Um, and and nobody seems to have a unique motivation. It's just like, the that group of people who are turning against you knows something you don't about your circumstances. And that's why they're choosing to fight against you instead and, like, side with the end. Um, this is the end. So, so they, they would theoretically go into way more of that in the true ending. But, uh, 
yeah, I, I'm just I'm trying really hard to tiptoe around being spoilery. But no, they don't have unique motivations, which is one of the things that I think they could have handled a lot better. Because mm-hmm. the concept is great. And then that's it's like, okay, well, it doesn't actually I don't actually care that much about killing this person. Like the only attachment that I really had to characters was because of their design or because of their abilities in battle. Mm-hmm. Like um, the character models are basically all like, like I said, it's kind of low budget. And most of them look like the same person with a different head. <laughs> So they're all just like generic soldiers that have a, a, maybe like a different detail or two on their costumes. Like, you know, one guy's really short. Um, depends on, like their builds are slightly different, but for the most part, they could all just be the same character model with different proportions. So it's a Bethesda game. Everybody just has different heads, but the same armor. Oh, gosh. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I keyed, so. I keyed. <laughs> I make a little joke. Uh... That actually brought up one thing I wanted to ask Caitlin, and I forgot about it during all of our tactics discussion, so I'm going to back up a little bit. Caitlin, did you play Tactics Ogre? Uh, I have not yet. I have it on my Vita. Oh, and Caitlin. Oh, Caitlin. It's, it's, it's on my list of things to do. As soon as I finish Tactics, I have to finish P3P, and then I want to start Tactics Ogre. So. You, you are in for such a treat. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I've heard such good things about it. I mean, as much as I love the story and Tactics, I'm really looking forward to the story and Tactics Ogre, so... I want to get to it now, but I have to finish P3P. I have got to finish that game. I need to finish that, too. I got to, like, the exact same spot I did when I played Persona 3 the first time, and I didn't finish it. <laughs> it's the same problem I ran into with uh, Okami. I got, like, all the way to the end of the game and just stopped. Like You didn't finish Okami? That's that's because uh... Okami goes on way too long. Yes, Okami should have been a 20-hour game, and it turns into a 40-hour game. And it Okami kinda... is a great game, don't get me yes, wrong. Yes, it's, it's fantastic. Just... It tricks you into thinking it's over twice, and I feel like my emotions were toyed with because it was like, okay, really? this is it, yeah, like here we go, this is the end. Nope, just kidding. I had there's the opposite reaction. Right. I was like, "There's more game. Awesome." Usually, I'm like that. Usually, I'm like, "There's more game. I'm excited." But the, the, for whatever reason, with Okami, it just I'm with Derek. It started to really maybe he wouldn't use the word annoy, but it started to annoy me. Like I want this game to end. I want it to. I want to move on because I'm kind of tired of the combat. Like I'm. I'm a little bored by it right now, and it. It isn't doing anything new. I, I'd be okay if this ended. Yeah, it's it again. There's. It's not a bad game at all. I just got tired of it near the end. Well, when it comes to. It's okay, I forgive you. Thank you, Caitlin. I think you're gonna really enjoy Tactics Ogre. Yes. Tactics Ogre is a. That's a damn good game. I've never beaten it, actually. I beat it several times, because uh, they just do such a smart way that you can keep playing the game and keep exploring the story without having to completely redo things. That's yeah. like the smartest thing that game does. It's, it's just, just like, like Virtue's Last Reward, where you can yeah. just skip around the timeline as need be once yep. you've beaten it. And they, they keep the enemies tough, so you're not going to like completely over-level them, and they let you skip around the story beats. The battles are bigger than Final Fantasy Tactics, which I think is one thing you'll have to get used to. Like, it, it, They can feel much longer, because you're dealing with yeah. twice the party size. Right. Uh, and there's some balancing things here and there that you'll have to get used to. Like The first time you start fighting enemies that you've never fought before and you don't have the skills equipped, it can get really dicey. That game can be really hard, but it's also very easy to break. Hello, archers! I've heard the archers archers. are so overpowered in that game. They are stupid overpowered in that game. It's like the end of the game. You just have a wall of archers, which maybe they're trying to make sense of actual combat because that's the way it really works. Like, (laughs) that's why we have archery and guns is because they do so much damage. 
but it, it's a fantastic game. I really like the adult story. It does kind of devolve a little bit in the end. It kind of falls into the Final Fantasy Tactics trap of like all this all these political machinations go away and we become a bog standard, like the world's going to end story, which isn't nearly as interesting. Uh, That's okay. Game of Thrones is going to do the exact same thing. Same. Uh, That's okay. We can live with that. Can we though? Uh. Uh, after the end of last season, I don't know. I know you were really down on it. I, I'm still willing to give them a shot. I'm st- I, I, it was definitely the weakest season, but I think compared to what they had to work with in those books, I'm willing to give them a mulligan. I they need, yeah, George R. R. Martin needs to actually develop the story so they can write, you know, <laughs> riveting episodes about the way it. The season ended was fantastic. Like, because I think the storyline endings are set up in a cool way. What, what happens to Marcella? Hello? That's way more interesting. That's, that's way more interesting? Yes. That's Is way that? more interesting. What happened I to her? In that the- was, I thought that was trite and relied on, well, I didn't read the books. It, it relied on, like, a Shock value. A motif, as it were, that they kept beating into our heads with the entire Dorn storyline throughout oh. the season. I mean, we, and we can't talk about it without spoiling it, but yeah. I, I disagree, and especially with Marcella. That was pointless. I don't, I don't think it was pointless at all because they've done nothing in the books with Dorn, like at all. Dorn. The end of her storyline, though, that. Uh, well, the trend with this season of oh, shock value. There's, we got to make sure the book people are surprised, so we're just going to do random crap. And the books did the exact. I, I'm not. I'm not arguing with you. I'm arguing the point, which is the books do the exact same thing. Like the ending of a Dance to Dragons is a giant. Is a giant like <laughs> Skeletor. <laughs> like it, <laughs> to be fair, the books are doing the exact same thing. Like if the criticism is that both the books and the show are having the same problems, that's a criticism that I can 100% get behind. But if the criticism is that the books are doing it perfectly. Like, all, all the criticism about what Stannis did, I went onto Facebook and started just, like, facepalming people because George R. R. Martin said that that's what was going to happen. Like, yeah. that's how he's going to start the next book. So if your problem is, yeah, the, bo- the books are so much better than the TV show, well, the TV show is kind of following the books in a lot of ways. Like That's not my problem. I, for the most part, treat the show as a separate entity at this point. And that's fair. And that's fair. And I have major pro. I-, I love the first three books with a passion, and then the last two books have been kind of... E like very poorly paced and nothing's been happening. So let's see what they do. Let's see what. By the way, Rob, thank you for that headcanon. Now I'm thinking that the leader of the White Walkers is Skeletor. Skeletor. (laughs) Can I do that okay, or is that like one of those things where I think I'm doing it okay and it sounds terrible? You sounded pretty good to me. Okay. Okay. Derek, did did you watch a lot of He-Man as a kid or no? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Okay. It wasn't like a devotee. No, I it was it was on. I'd watch it. I wasn't big into that. Uh, wasn't big into the the He Man. I was big into Shira. Uh, we have and Skeletor I, shows up a bit in Shira. So we have the entire collection of Shira in this house, Caitlin. You and Jack. Yes. We have Gem and the Holograms for Christ's sake. All right. Mm-hmm. Can I come we, over and just like just consume know, our media? Lord knows we're not consuming enough of it. <laughs> like, I, I'm coming downstairs the other day. I'm like, did you buy all of the Beetlejuice animated series? And she's like, yeah. I was like, when are we going to watch this? She's like, I don't know. It was on sale. We needed to buy it. I'm like, what? Ugh, for God's sake. That's okay. I bought all of Dragon Ball Z Kai the other day, so I'm, I'm just as guilty. I'm just as bad. But Kai is so good. It cuts out you know, all the filler. You know what I just bought, actually? Uh, and you're, you're going to, like, 
probably slap me across the internet, but I have never watched more than mm, three or four episodes of Cowboy Bebop. I knew you were going to... Yep. That I was going to slap across the internet. I was like, (laughs) yes, incoming Um, slap emote. So I just bought the uh, the complete collection because I had it on Amazon on Blu-ray for like 22 bucks. It's really good. So I was like, okay. That's worth it. It's really so, good. Got that. It's sitting right in front of me. It looks beautiful. I can't wait to watch it. I made the mistake of, as a kid of trying to watch Trigun first, and I really don't like Trigun at all. And then I watched Cowboy Bebop, and I was like, oh, this is what I could have been watching? Good to know I made uh, bad decisions in life. Okay. Fantastic. I never got into Helsing. I never liked Helsing. I found that to be very boring. I didn't ever watch it, so... Yeah. But uh, Dragon Ball Z Kai is just, here's all the filler of Dragon Ball Z. Like, instead of taking 40 episodes to get to Namek, they get there in 14. So it actually has, like, real flow and doesn't lose character development. So it's one of those shows that, like, if you didn't like Dragon Ball Z because of all the filler and all the jokes about, hey, they're just screaming at each other for four episodes in a row, you might actually like Kai because they just get rid of all that. They're just like, eh, we're going to make this thing move a little bit faster. Here you go. Hmm. But have fun with Cowboy Bebop. That is... That is yeah, I'm going to. That is you know what I actually have been watching, which I know this will be a little bit more controversial because some people hate it on principle of overexposure, even though they haven't watched it. But Steven Universe, oh man, that show is so good. I am not familiar with that. Really? Oh. It's, oh. It's I haven't a, watched it myself, but I've heard of it. It's a Cartoon Network show. It's uh, one of those um, Adventure Time-like shows that is being made on a kids' network that has surprisingly poignant and adult thematic material. Oh, oh, isn't that the show that, like, actually explores, like, um, homosexuality and stuff? Like, there's yeah, a like, couple in it? Like, okay, I have her. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, like, yeah, it's it's more like um, a lot of the characters are agendered, basically, but they identify as female, and so there's a lot of, basically, like, homosexual relationships. And also, there's a lot of talk of gender identity and, like, That's cool. losing, losing your parents and coping with that and just relationships in general like it, it's it's pretty deep sometimes and i i say that with the slightest hint of pretension maybe but like it's it's one of those shows that i didn't i didn't expect to get anything out of um and i was like oh my god it's so good and also um the person who does the, the music for the show is ivy tran who we interviewed on rhythm encounter way back when when she was working on music for the game cryomore that's still not oh, out cool. um, yeah, it was a Kickstarter, um, and they're still working on that, I guess. But yeah, uh, Ivy and Sarashu, uh, they're actually a duo now. I think they just got married or they got engaged. I don't remember which, but they do like chiptune piano. So the music for that is awesome, and you can go back and listen to our interview with her on Rhythm Encounter. Great show, though. We're just plugging all the podcasts. So. <laughs> I, did, I didn't think I didn't intend to, but then it came up. And That's it came okay. Out. That's okay. That's what we do around here. Yeah. That's what we do around here. Uh Caitlin, what have you been up to besides the 14s? Uh, tactics. Tactics? Just, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not very much in the way of the new gaming. Although, I mean, some of the stuff in 14, it's more recent. Like, uh, they released um, Alexander. I haven't done Savage yet, but uh, normal Alexander is pretty fun. At the risk of having... At the risk of having the listeners roll their eyes at me, did you guys both just give up on Bloodborne? Were you guys just like, eh, enough's enough? Well, I told you, I watched my roommate play all of it. Like, okay. I saw and everything, so I don't, I don't, I'm good. It was more that there were other things that came out that I really wanted to play, and I just, when it came time to decide, oh, what am I going to play tonight, there was always something else that was like, ah, I'd rather play this. That's fair, that's so. fair. I mean, I, I really still enjoyed my time with Bloodborne, and I do, every now and then when I watch someone streaming, I'm like, I've really got to go back and finish at least 
the first playthrough and get it done. So I've still been having a really good time playing with my buddy uh, that game. It, it, it is very good, and I'm I'm really hopeful that the DLC will fix some of the some of the issues that people have with it. Which, to an extent, I have those issues too. But I, I want to know more about the DLC. I'm surprised we haven't even heard like a peep yet outside of Yoshida's. Like, yeah, we're doing it. Please look forward to it. Please look forward to it. Uh, another please look forward to it news. I guess I guess we'll move on to news. Uh, it looks like yeah. we're gonna get a Dragon Quest announcement, huh? Mm-hmm. There's a press event happening. It's going to be, I guess, later this week, uh, July 28th, so two days after this recording. And it's supposed to be the next mainline Dragon Quest. Uh, everything we've heard points to it being on a home console, so like PS4 probably. So I'll be happy. Yeah, I I, I mean... I liked 9. I did. I, oh, I like 2. I like 9 also. But um, I know a lot of people are, are definitely more into their RPGs on handhelds these days. And I'm fine with that. Like, I understand that... Time commitments are different than they used to be for a lot of people. A lot of people who grew up with RPGs are now adults with responsibilities, jobs, what have you. But for me, there's still something really special about sitting down in front of the big screen and just playing an epic long RPG. And that's I would love for that to happen with Dragon Quest XI. I would love for it to be PS4. Um, give me some cool characters. Give me a big, huge world to explore. Like, let's do this. Well, and that was my problem with... Dragon Quest Nine, which was I liked that game a lot, but it didn't have the characters. Like I, my only real exposure to the series was uh, Dragon Quest Eight, which that game is just popping with character and with like, just it's funny, it's witty. Uh, I love Yangus. I lo- yeah. what was the what was the girl's name? Jessica. Jessica. Yeah. Who, who Jackie could cosplay in a heartbeat right down <laughs> to the right down to the puff puff <laughs> move if she really wanted to. <laughs> Derek, I know. I, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I love Yangus. I, I love the whole dynamic of like talking to the horse and and everything that goes along with that. I know that sounds strange, but I don't want to give away the story because I think we're gonna get it in America, like on the 3DS. That's what I want out of Dragon Quest. Like, I love Toriyama's art design. I just gushed about Dragon Ball. Like, I love that stuff, and I want. Dragon Quest IX had all of that ripped out of it because you just made your characters and they were just blank slates because you were supposed to play it online with people. And that's not what I come to Dragon Quest for. I think Dragon Quest IX was way more interesting when it was an action RPG before the internet exploded and they demanded to go back to a turn-based game. But, like, I was living in South Carolina at the time. I didn't have any friends to play that game with. And so that just... That's a big thing, because I, I did have people to play that with, mm-hmm. and I really, really enjoyed my time with it. I, but, but like you said, I missed having a predefined main character, which is a concern that I share for Xenoblade Chronicles X, because it doesn't have a main character, you know? Yeah. So it would, just be, it would just be... Narrative, yes. It would just be really nice if they would release the kind of Dragon Quest game that I think the fans want. Now, I'm not going to say that to, to speak for the fans and to, and to just say, like, oh, this is definitely what they want, but I think that that was some of the resistance. And then we got Dragon Quest X, which was an online game, and we didn't even get it in America, which is yeah. kind of crappy. Never came here. So, like, a traditional Dragon Quest game has me super excited. I'm remembering, I love eight. Like, I turned so many of my friends on to eight who were old-school RPG gamers from back in the Super Nintendo days, and they were like, this is what I want. Like, it's not overly flashy, it has a story, it has characters, but it's focused on, like, its gameplay and doing lots of things in the world. 
Do you think we might get word about the Western releases, or does it seem like this will not be the time for them uh, to announce that? I don't. I don't think they'll announce it at this thing. <laughs> I think they're trying to go for a record of how many games can we announce in Japan before we announce a localization. Yes. Uh, they're getting there. They might have beaten it already. Oh, come on! It hurts. I have wanted to play Seven for so many years. No. So many years. <laughs> Bastards. Yep. <laughs> Well, and especially if the remake cuts out a lot of the... Please understand. I will not understand, yeah. <laughs> We won't understand. We won't understand. Well, moving on, uh, this is more of a music-centric announcement, but it's very exciting. Legend of Mana is getting an arrangement soundtrack. Uh, it's called Promise, and it's an album. Um, Yoko Shimamura, the original composer for Legend of Mana, is working on it. It's going to be coming out on September 30th in Japan, and I'm sure that we'll have coverage of it, but... Legend oh, yeah. of Mana has one of those, I think, iconic soundtracks. It's just it's it's one of the best soundtracks in the entire uh, PlayStation library. Was that I think. The, was that the one that came out right before Chrono Cross? It came out during yeah. Summer of Adventure. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Birds of Fate, Legend of Mana, and Chrono Cross. But that's uh, right. And then uh, Vagrant Story was right after it, right? Oh no, Vagrant Story was before. Vagrant Story was, was before. before. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I mean. Excellent soundtrack. Can't wait to hear what they're doing with that. Um, I'm gonna buy it. I'm I'm gonna buy it. I'm glad that that Yoko Shimomura is working on it, and I'm I'm kind of surprised, I guess, that she has time to do that when she's working on Final Fantasy 15. But I mean, I don't know what she gets up to. Maybe she has time. Uh, and the, the game actually came out on July 15th, 1999. So it's <sighs> the 16-year anniversary of the game. Wow. So how time flies, right? Uh, here's an exciting announcement that uh, we got a localization confirmation right away for this, but uh, Odin Sphere is getting an HD remake. It's called Odin Sphere uh, Lathrasir, and it is for PS4, PS3, yes, and PS Vita. Coming out in 2016 for the US, and looks great. It's it's not apparently just an HD remaster of Odin Sphere. It's got some new like animations, new scenarios, new bosses, new character stuff. It's just New, 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 new. Um, I think that Odin Sphere is a game that could have benefited from some better balance and pacing, but it's one of those games that really sticks with me as an example of games as art. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the setting and the story are just singular. Um, the the music and the atmosphere, th- that game touched me in a way a lot of games don't. And let me show you on the diagram exactly where it touched me. No, um, it's, <laughs> it's a great... Say. Right, yeah. But now, it, I know this might sound very um, reductionist here, but it doesn't have the gross Vanillaware art style, does it? Like, it, it has the beautiful Vanillaware art style, yes, right? Yes, I think okay. it's, it's incredibly tasteful, and um, yeah, it, it definitely has a different feel than games like Dragon's Crown, which, again, I like Dragon's Crown. I did, too. I did, we've too. We discussed to death what Dragon's Crown did right and did wrong, um, or just did in such a way that made us think about it. It, was, it, had, it made questionable decisions. I don't really know how else to say it. It's unfortunate that Caitlin wasn't here for that because I think having a bunch of white dudes trying to articulate what our problems were with Dragon's Crown at the time was very difficult. Like, I felt awkward talking about that because I was like, well... Right. I mean... All we, I know is it makes me feel icky. Right. And I think we yeah. did our best. And there's also... We had we had some, some good perspectives, I think. Oh, we yeah. absolutely could have. And I think we should have had a woman in the discussion. But, yeah. I mean, at least... We had the, uh, like, 
I don't want to like toot my own horn. I mean, at least I was there to say like that I don't, you know, I'm not interested in the women in the game, <laughs> so I could have a slightly different perspective. But yeah, I wish Caitlin would have been there. Anyway, Odin Sphere is great. Uh, I'm looking forward to that HD remaster. It's kind of like they're they're calling it an HD remaster, but it's more of like a slight reworking of the game. And it looks like they're going to have an announcement of another title soon-ish. And yeah. there were kind of some hints at a sci-fi overtone. Mm-hmm. And I just... They sent out that... Was it a Christmas card or something a couple of years back? Where it was yeah. just... That, and the girl was basically just sitting spread eagle with like a penis coming out of her. And it was like, oh, that's... Okay, subtlety I there. I haven't seen this, and now right. I don't think I want to. No, you really don't. Like, it, was, it wasn't it was cool then, and I'm just really... Again, that art style is so beautiful, it's like, why do we have to overly sexualize it? Again, I'm not trying to beat a, a dead horse here, but at the very least, I think people can acknowledge that it's, it's over-sexualized. That doesn't necessarily make it bad, but don't hide the fact that it's over-sexualized. Like, if anything, embrace it. Like, yeah, it is over-sexualized. Who cares? Don't tell me that it's not. Yeah, and... Odin's fear definitely leans more towards the sort of whimsical Shakespearean high fantasy kind of vibe and not so much to just like it's fantasy so we can put exaggerated body proportions in it or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, We've discussed the, it to death. The images I've seen make it look much more tasteful than anything from, from Dragon's Crown. I mean, you've still got a character who's wearing, you know, what looks like a thong, but her assets aren't nearly overproportioned to the same extent. So yeah. it's still, you know, kind of looks like sexy for sexy's sake, but it's not like, holy crap, boobs. Don't, don't worry, Caitlin. I'm hoping that they put the uh, DLC for Witcher 3 that just lets you have his shirt off the entire time. That's what I want. I know. I know. I would start that. That dude's swimmer's build is incredible, and I'm I'm not even gay. And I'm just like, wow, that's nice. That's I mean, nice. You, can, you can remove his armor, and he'll be wearing nothing on top. Um, what I really want is the towel. I want to be able to wear the towel <laughs> the no. entire time. Hey, I mean... Uh... Persona 4 Dancing All Night's got the Birth of Venus costume for Kanji, where it's just like a leaf covering his groin. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, the, uh, the, if the we're going to do fan scene. service, right? If we're going to do fan service, just go ball. Go all the way. Ball. Yeah. Like, that's Because yeah. they have all the, the girl swimsuit costumes, so why not? That's my big thing, is just go all the way with it. Like, don't don't sit there and, like, be and like hide or be coy about it. Like, eh, let's just have some fun. Like, go everywhere with it. As long as it's, like, equal opportunity, I don't care. Yep. But that's neither here nor there, I guess. It's somewhere. We've talked about it. It's definitely somewhere. Uh, And then, uh, oh, God, my buddies uh, who made Lords of the Fallen have a game coming out. (laughs) (laughs) You sound super excited about it. Oh, God. Okay, go on. Uh, what's it called? The Scourge or something? Like, it, it kind of got... Did we not do a news story on it? Uh, it doesn't sound familiar to me. Whatever. The guys who made Lords of the Fallen have a sci-fi game that's going to be announced soon, probably at Gamescom. And, yeah, the director for Lords of the Fallen 2 left the project, kind of saying that there was just disagreement of what they want to do with that game. Good luck, guys. Good luck. I, I want that game to be better. They need to embrace the clunkiness. Like, that's what they need to do, is, like, don't punish me because your game is clunky. Like, make the game just be clunky. I think, um, did you guys play Warhammer uh, Space Marine? 
Nope. That game actually got, like, huge, bulging dude, like, swinging a massive axe right. That was actually pretty cool. And if they did something like that with Lords of the Fallen, not that style of arcade game, but if they did something where it was just a focus on, yeah, you're swinging an axe, but you're cleaving, like, people in two with it, that would be cool. Or something like Mark of Kree-ish, when Rao got the the axe Mark of Kree. Am I mentioning any games that anybody's ever played? <laughs> I know that game, I just haven't played okay. it. Okay. Yeah, same here. When he got that axe, that, that game got good. Dad axe. Dad axe. I played yep. a demo for it, but never played the full game. It was a good game. It got it got a real visceral quality of combat. You feel like Darth Maul at the end of that game. I like the art style of the game. Oh, the art style is gorgeous. Oh, it's so good. I want to go play. I have too many games I want to play. That that's a problem right now. <laughs> that is not a bad thing. I have too that's many games. That's been my problem actually, because I beat Lost Dimension and I I haven't started anything new. I'm kind of at a loss. I was thinking that this summer might be a good time for me to finally play Mother Three more than like I don't know four hours through. Would you do the fan translation, or would you yeah. just be in Japanese? I'd do the fan translation. My don't Japanese have, don't isn't, have to isn't work good enough. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, could I muddle through it? Yeah, but it would take me forever. So I'd much rather just play it in English. <sighs> Any other news stories for us to talk about? We kind of wanted to do a shorter show this week. I, I want us to get back into more regular shows, so maybe not like complete overkill on podcasts and not having like three-hour epics. Yeah, I mean, that's all I had for news. There there haven't, I mean, the industry's been in an interesting state since the passing of Iwata. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Been, it's been a real, it's been really depressing. <laughs> but I think that, um, Rob, you mentioned that it seems like we're headed in a little bit more of a positive direction, at least right now. And I think that's uh, what Iwata would have wanted. And I'm, I'm glad to see that we've got more positivity. Yeah, and, and I think you can be critical of your medium in a positive sense like hey we want to make things better we want to improve like we don't have to make everything the same way that we always do and i think that's what the focus should be on right now like a lot of loved games and you know i i actually had a hard time recording that intro for the last episode because i was in the middle of of editing when uh, we learned of his passing like i was actually emotional like as stupid as that sounds like that's a dude that loved video games and he was so positive for the industry on a whole and we need more of that. Like, we don't need the one Randy Pitchford douchebag online sitting here defending Aliens Colonial Marines saying, actually, it was a pretty awesome game. Like, we don't need that right now. What we need is, like, actual humility in video games and, like, hey, let's try to make things better. Like, yeah, you didn't like this. We're going to try to do better. Like, that's what we need. Like, we need more faces like that in the industry and less of, like, the corporate chills. I mean... Yeah, I, w- I want people who are passionate, people who are focused on what makes games fun and not focused on what's going to sell the most. Like, yes, I realize that making games is it's, it's an industry. It's a business. They make money off of them, but there are also people who understand the artistic merit of video games and understand how they change people's lives for the better. And Iwata was one of those people. He might've been like the guy. Yeah. Iwata was, he was a businessman, but he was also somebody who loved video games. I mean, he was a designer himself. Yeah. Oh, and look at the directs, like the E3 direct where, they had a lot of fun. I, I can tell. Oh yeah, doing that, you know, doing the whole Muppets thing. That was yeah, just the tone. Was awesome. The tone of that compared to the other two conferences, which were again, like we talked about, the Sony conference was outstanding. But it's just Nintendo's always had their own approach, and Awada was central to a lot of how Nintendo handled their customers, their development policies. You know, so um, it's been it's been pretty sobering to think yeah. about his passing. Yeah. 
Yeah, which yeah, I was shocked to hear about it. I didn't, I didn't even know that he was sick. I unfortunately wasn't shocked because he had missed the past two E3s, and you start reading between the lines on that. Like when it, it was it was like when I heard about him passing, it was like it makes sense. I'm still like mortified by it. Yeah, like yeah. this still really sucks. And again, I, th- I think we just want positivity in video games right now. Like, again, that doesn't mean don't criticize video games. Like, we always want them to get better. But, you know, let's try to be positive. You know, th- there might be things that you're not interested. Like, I'm trying to be positive on Vanillaware right now. Like, I'm not really interested in that kind of art style. But if people like it, that's fine. I'm just, I'm offering my two cents, my thought on it. And you guys come to a podcast like this to hear our thoughts on things. And just because we don't always agree doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad thing. Right. And and having a generally positive perspective doesn't mean that you don't criticize. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think we'll have more games to talk about soon. We'll probably keep talking about 14 until, you know, cows. Until we all die. (laughs) Until we all die. I'll probably finish Witcher 3 in the time between now and the next podcast. I'd like to get that done and kind of offer up some closing thoughts on that. But that game is just... It is mighty, and it is taking a long time to get through, but that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll definitely have more stuff to talk about down the line. So for uh, Derek and Caitlin, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you all later. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.